0: my privilege now to introduce you to our next speaker. Sherry was the COO of a technology company when her 14 year old son Connor was killed in an airplane accident almost eight years ago. And she and her daughter sought the services of the children's center. Uh, Children's Grief Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and several years later took the uh, role of their executive director. It was my privilege to be part of the search committee for the Compassionate Friends, the national organization, to find a new leader for our international efforts for bereaved parents. And a couple of months ago, as a board member, we're fortunate to select Shari as our CEO just a day or two after the COVID-19 uh, shut down our country. So, Shari, welcome to the Compassionate Friends and uh, welcome to uh, this time. Be very interested in what you have to share. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Donna. Um, first, I want to say thank you for that introduction. Donna is a board member of um, the Compassionate Friends. And um, as she said, formerly to this role, I was the executive director of the Children's Grief Center of New Mexico, which is modeled after the Dougie Center. So Donna is a hero to my former organization and me. And um, I've been so grateful to be able to work with her in this short of time. And I also wanted to say thank you to Open to Hope. Um, you have put together just an amazing conference, and what a time! that we need so many incredible leaders to come together with great hearts and great minds to face that, all that we are facing right now. For me, um, being a bereaved individual, being a professional in both the business world, which is where I spent most of my time before I became a bereaved mom and then shifted my path, um, I'm struck by the level of grief, trauma, and bereavement in our world right now. Starting with the pandemic, that has created um, staggering numbers of deaths in a very short time, unprecedented to many of the generations that are alive today in our country and throughout the world. In addition to that, we have, as has been mentioned, deaths that happen to us on a regular basis that have not had any ability to be memorialized and responded to in the ways that are healing and important to go through such a traumatic experience. And we add to that the economic Um, Losses that are substantial, jobs, businesses, financial stability, things that changed very quickly for people um, in, in, in a matter of days and weeks sometimes from what people anticipated their spring and summer and future would be. And then on top of it now, we are being challenged with significant social questions. Um, and has, as was mentioned in an earlier panel, what was the old normal and how equi- equitable was that and what might something look like going forward? When we um, think about the pandemic and how fast it emerged, it was fast, furious, abrupt. Things changed instantly without anybody's permission, without their control and without a lot of information on any um, hourly or daily basis of what people could expect. And people experience this at different levels in different ways. Um, It certainly wasn't exactly the same for everybody, but most people experienced some level of it. And this is very similar to significant bereavement for anybody who has had that experience. Um, Feelings like anger, sadness, um, denial, shock, feelings of deprivation, all of those are huge feelings that come when somebody loses somebody traumatically. And those are very similar feelings that many people faced recently as we went through this um, fast paced pandemic moving through our world quickly. And we may not consciously acknowledge it, but you know, when we, when we plan our lives and we plan pieces of our lives, we are planning a future that we envision and we expect. So our decisions about what our family might look like, where we may live, education we may invest in, our jobs, family traditions, we don't do those um, haphazardly, we do them because they sort of paint a picture of what we can expect. And while we all expect and learn that we may have adjustments, we may have financial changes, we may have health changes, we don't really plan for huge changes in how we can see our future. Nobody plans to have a child die. Nobody plans to have a terminal illness all of a sudden strike their family out of nowhere. No one plans for bankruptcy or home loss or the loss of retirement savings that they've been saving for for quite some time. So then we turn around and we say, well, what does that look like? And our our normal reaction is things like, "Um, I can't wait to get back to normal, or it looks like we're returning to normal, or... Um, boy, things will feel normal again soon. And there's this idea that we can take those really dramatic experiences and all of a sudden return to something where we were. And I think anybody who has experienced traumatic bereavement has learned in a very difficult way, and, and through other losses as well that can be traumatic, that there, there isn't the same normal. Um, we can see it now, you know, for example, when there's a death in the family there are all these very immediate things that need to be tended to. There's an obituary and a funeral service and all sorts of details that are horrible and hard. And we almost have the benefit of shock moving us through that and we get through those things. We find ourselves a few months down the road and we can feel like that was the hard part. That was the really traumatic rough stage. And what's difficult is to, is to learn that there's more stages past that, that there are harder questions in addition to that, which is what we're seeing now today as well. We're, I believe, just in the, in the beginning stages of this, and there's a lot for us to reckon with, and so this idea of where do we go from here? with a future that isn't what we expected, isn't what we planned and and often isn't what we want is a key question that we need to answer. A quote that I love from Joseph Campbell is, we must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us, um, even if we didn't choose that life. And so what can we do when we are faced with trying to let go of what we expected and learn to trust again and see something different? we want to control and we want to do and we want to um, initiate things that make change down the road. And in significant loss as we're in right now, we can't do major changes. We can't take back and change the dramatic losses we've had. So how do we see smaller steps of things that might create a different way of seeing where we're going? And I want to suggest that there are small things that we can be doing, and there are different ways that we can be in the world that can help that. Probably one of the most significant um, steps we can do or take when we're seeing a changed future is to help or volunteer. And you know, it can be a really hard thing when someone has lost something significant, I remember this, and someone says to you, well, it'll help you if you go help someone else. Because really at that point in time, it just might feel like, I don't even have the energy to move off my couch. I don't know how I could help someone else. But help um, can come in very small ways and very small steps and it can create great strides for where we're going. I heard a wonderful story recently about, the ending is is wonderful, about a man who lost his restaurant um, immediately after the pandemic started. This was a generational family restaurant that not only meant the economic support for his family, but was a passion and a heart endeavor throughout generations of his family. And when the pandemic struck so quickly, it wasn't something that could be saved. And so understandably, um, he was angry and sad and shocked and had no idea where to even begin. And he was outside one day, um, ready to bring in the garbage cans and he saw that when the garbage trucks had come through, they had strewn garbage all over the place. Maybe it was a windy day, but there was garbage all over, which just made him angrier. And so he just made the decision that he was gonna go get a garbage can and he picked up each piece off the road and started walking down the road muttering um, as he went, um, trying to clean up the place so it didn't look so bad. And as he wandered and wandered a ways down the road, he found a yard where there were lots of um, papers, newspapers strewn all over the place that hadn't been picked up. And he thought, you know, I think I will see if I can help um, take those to the person who lives there. And when he took him up to the door, he met a very elderly woman who was not able to go outside. She was at high risk. She was very scared and she wasn't able to go outside. And so she was very grateful that he brought her her papers. And he made a mental note that each day when he went to get his newspaper, he'd take it to her. After about a week, he asked her, he just realized that he hadn't seen her out and he asked her about food. And he said, How are you getting groceries um, during this time? Is your family doing that for you? And she shared again that she didn't have family there and she was just using what was in the cupboard, trying to use it up, so that um, she was waiting for it to blow over. That's that was her strategy. And he said, You know. If you make me a list, when I go to the store next time, I'm happy to pick up groceries for you. And as he did that, he had a little more time on his hands, as many have had in this pandemic. And so he began to realize there were a lot of people in his neighborhood who were in similar circumstances. They did not have the resources to even take care of basic needs every day. And he had some friends who were also unemployed and struggling what to do with their energy and gathered them together, And in a short amount of time, they had about 60 people volunteering to get groceries for people who were um, inside and could not um, get outside to do what was needed for them on a daily basis. And the beautiful part of the story is not only were those steps important for the immediate future, his anger, his sadness, his shock and not knowing where to turn, but he now has an idea for a new business that he's going to be combining his skill with food and delivering food services with some nonprofits in the area to try to see if they can take care of the great problem we're seeing in our country of food insecurity. So I share that because um, he never would have imagined um, the journey he took and where he might find himself if it weren't for that very first step of picking up some garbage and taking some newspapers up. And so the power of doing helpful activities or volunteering in some small way is one of the first things that we can do even when we're in pain to open ourselves up to making movement through what is so unexpected and um, what we're grieving. The second thing is in finding community. Um, At The Compassionate Friends, we are a community of people who have all lost child, sibling or grandchild and people who have had that very, very painful and traumatic journey before and have journeyed through that, reach back to help new people who are experiencing that now. Um, Donna mentioned my involvement with the Children's Grief Center. I also used services very early on of the Compassionate Friends and then became involved in the organization with some national conference and different levels and it was a lifesaver to have other people to be in community with during such a profoundly painful time. So right now, whether that is a national organization like the National Alliance for Grieving Children, um, the Compassionate Friends, there's many organizations around, um, uh, even additionally stigmatizing types of losses like suicide, homicide, and drug overdose. There's all sorts of organizations that can provide resources that can be a touch point and many um, are virtual right now. You don't have to walk out of your house. On a more local level, there are fraternal organizations like Rotary or Kiwanis, neighborhood associations, church associations. Anytime um, that you are in this moment of great loss, and need to find a way to take a step forward toward hope. Having some connection and having some community is really, really an important second step. Um, A third one I wanna mention is gratitude. And that's another one that can sound a little tough when you first hear it, especially when you are experiencing really significant loss. But I have found gratitude to be one of the practices most significant to moving forward through some of the toughest, toughest pain we can feel. Because even in the midst of all that pain, we do have ways to find moments of gratitude. And For example, right now, I do a gratitude practice every day before I get out of bed, before I pick up my phone and let the outside world in. It's very simple. I try to think of at least five things in the last 24 hours that I'm grateful for. They can be large. They can be small. They can be the um, butterfly that crossed in front of my path as I was walking the other day. It can be the smell of a bloom in the midst of a really hard day. It can be so many things. Um, It can be a a great um, time that you had virtually on Zoom for Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever day might be special, an anniversary or so on. But people do gratitude practices through writing, sometimes through thinking, sometimes through sharing with someone. But a daily practice of gratitude helps shift our perspective from all that we are um, understandably and rightfully grieving to what is left for us and what kinds of things provide that hope that we're looking for. There's also some ways that we can, what I call be in the world in a different way, which can feel a little um, hard and counterintuitive sometimes since we're, especially in the Western world here, really um, doers, we always wanna do and fix and do something larger. But um, this time has taught many people that being still, is really helpful to um, understanding more about the world we're in. And in, in grief and loss of whatever kind to whatever level, having more time to be still allows things to come inside of us that we might not have previously experienced. Nature, adding nature to that is one of the most wonderful ways to do it. Um, I'm always um, love the visual of the hummingbird. You know, hummingbirds hover. As people, we don't hover all that often, we are moving and doing, which means our minds are always busy and our hearts are always busy and our wisdom and spirits are busy. So spending some time like the bird hovering is a practice, um, particularly outside, that can bring lots of insight and lots of changed direction. The gentleman I mentioned who is starting a new business, part of the reason he was able to come to that is because he was more still and he thought about the things that were around him even when they were painful. Faith and having some kind of spiritual connection is a really key way to be if you can find your path to that. And that may be a very direct um, way we're familiar with, with religion or a faith group that's very active in your life, but it also can be more um, indirect than that. Some people struggle with faith, especially after they have lost, um, traumatically lost a loved one like a child where it just doesn't seem fair and doesn't seem right. And we can't find a God through that, but there are different ways to look at that. And I'm really just talking about whatever it is in terms of faith that allows you to find something outside yourself and that allows you to find something you can't yet see, which is a difficult challenge to do. So that might be religion or a faith community, but it might be nature. It might be, you call it by the word universe or source or inner wisdom or inner guidance or whatever that is. Finding some path of faith, some path of spirituality and spiritual connection is a really, really important practice to help find way through uncertainty and when we have this life around us that we didn't expect and we would give back in a heartbeat if we could. So if you are someone suffering great loss today, Um, What can you do? Again, you can reach out, um, find community, and find connection, and many things can be done virtually, and many people are around to help with that, and I've even heard of people doing, for example, over-the-fence barbecues if they are um, immune-compromised and maybe can't get together in person, or driveway-to-driveway where there's a chair and they enjoy a beverage uh, later in the evening in driveways, but connection and community is so important. Helping um, and volunteering, so important. Um, Being sure that you're connecting with others, being sure that you're feeling supported, offering support, being heard, um, is such an important step right now. Again, the um, next one I would mention is gratitude, and the next one I would mention is faith. We do have, again, this this experience and time we're in is not um, even. Not everybody's experiencing this time in the same way. You may have anxieties and fears and worries, which are very important and significant, but you may be blessed to not have those um, detrimental and devastating losses in your personal life right now. If that's you, um, be sure to reach out to someone and offer your support. There are so many people who need support and there are so many small ways to do that. But for example, if someone lost traumatically in the last few months, Most likely they didn't have any of the rituals that exist that are so important for our hearts and spirits. Um, Take that casserole over now. We don't take casseroles over because everybody loves casseroles. We take them because they are a way to reach from our heart to someone else's and provide our best um, possibility of nurturing and giving that we can at that time. And it's not too late for that. Send a text, send photos, send a story of that person's loved one, ask them how they're doing really right now Ask them if they've had a chance to commemorate their loved one in the way they want. But reach out. You have resources that those individuals don't have, and they need you, and you can give a lot right now. So where does the hope from come, come from? The hope comes from surrender, um, which is a hard word for a lot of us, but it's surrender to what we don't know and what we can't see yet. Um, it comes from opening by more stillness and being able to let those things in. And it comes from growth, from trusting that there's growth we can't see in finding examples around us. So one of the things we know in the Compassionate Friends with this amazing community nationwide is that bereaved people rise. And people who have lost things and people um, that are significant rise. And there's so many examples around us. So grab onto something that can help you have that faith and that trust that you can follow that path reach out to somebody today, reach inside to something new for you today and share um, the hope that you have so that we all can move forward together as a community. But I just wanna say thank you um, for allowing me to spend time today. If I may, I wanna make sure everybody knows of our website at The Compassionate Friends. We have a wealth of resources on there about bereavement. We have an upcoming virtual conference um, I would like everybody to know about that is on July 31st to August 2nd of this year. We're gonna take what is normally a large in-person conference and figure out how to do what the Horsleys have done and make a terrific um, experience for people to connect virtually. And that website is compassionatefriends.org. And you can find general information plus information to come on our conference. So blessings to you and thank you for this, um, putting together this beautiful day. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life.
0: Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world.
1: We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.